Welcome back to our next session. We're very thankful for the opportunity we have had to be with you, and we are praying that you are blessed, for we are certainly blessed by our fellowship with you. But uh, above all, we want to prepare ourselves as individuals and as families to meet the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes. So our session, our last session today is always prepared to stand, and uh, we are going to be sharing how we stand in excellence in an age of apostasy and, and apathy as individuals and as families. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we know that you want the very best for us. And we pray that as we go forward in the days to come, as we take heed to the lessons that we have heard and learned, that you will show us the way that we need to go. Thank you for your promises, which are so sure, as you will help us along the way as we wait for your soon return. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so prepared to stand. How do we develop spiritual excellence in an age of apostasy and apathy? Let's travel back in our minds. Travel back to grassy Judean hills, to soft breezes blowing through massive cedar trees, to sand and flowers and fresh summer air, to swords unsheathed and fire in the eyes, to the contested land of heroes. This man's name, and incidentally one of my very favorite Bible characters, is Eleazar, the son of Dodo. Not to be confused with Abraham's servant, how many of you know who this excellent soul is? Oh, my brothers raised their hands. Only in this hall. Eleazar, the son of Dodo, one of my very favorite characters. No doubt, probably some of you have heard his story, but it's maybe not stuck out to you before. You'll remember him after today. You can find his story in 2 Samuel 23, 9 and 10. You can also find another, uh, another um, rendition of the same account, similar account, um, also in the books of the Kings. Or, or pardon me, in the Chronicles. After him, this is 2 Samuel 23, 9 and 10. It's, been, it's just been talking about someone else. It says, after him, after the other gentleman, was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle when the men of Israel were gone away. He rose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day. It says it very calmly. So they're here and they're defending. It's a contested land of heroes, mind you. They are defending this patch of barley. And you've been fighting the Philistines for years and they're back. And Israel has turned and run. All except three people. David, Shammah, and Eleazar. And the three of them come in and they defend, the Bible says, this patch of barley against the entire army of the Philistines and it says his hand got weary well that goes without saying three people defending a patch of barley I mean like I, I think I would have been tempted to react the way the rest of the Israelites yeah, forget the barley we'll plant it next year again let's, uh, let's hit the hills no 
David, Shama, and Eleazar stand there and defend Patrick Barley against the entire Philistine host. And when the battle was over and the last Philistine had fallen or fled, Eleazar has to walk to the edge of the patch of barley and pry his fingers off the sword handle one at a time because his hand had literally fused to that handle. Determination. Determination. And today we look at the barley patch and we respond the rest of the way the rest of the Israelites did. Head for the hills! We'll be back next spring. Determination. Eleazar, the son of Dodo, remember him next time you're tempted to give up. What defines a hero or a heroine in an age of apostasy and apathy? We're going to give you five F's to remember today. You can write them down. That defines a hero in an age of apostasy and apathy. The first one we can take from Eleazar, focus. Focus. It is no easy matter to gain the priceless treasure of eternal life. This comes from Testimonies, Volume 6, page 147. It is no easy matter to gain the priceless treasure of eternal life. No one can do this and drift with the current of the world. No one will make any upward progress without persevering effort. He, would, he who would overcome must hold fast to Christ. He must not look back, but keep the eye ever upward, gaining one grace after another. Individual vigilance is the price of safety. Satan is playing the game of life for your soul. Swerve not to his side a single inch, lest he gain advantage over you. Let's turn to Nehemiah. Book of Nehemiah. Chapter 6. Now, if you, you want to find out a real Bible hero, study the book of Nehemiah. Uh, incidentally, did you know, I, the book of Nehemiah is one of my favorite books. Did you know that in the book of Nehemiah is literally unveiled the devil's entire plot that he uses to take the human family down and how to resist it successfully? The entire thing. You find it's like nine points, I think. Nine or 11 points, depending on how you break them up. The way the devil brings the human family down. Book of Nehemiah, study it. It is power-packed. We're only going to look at one of those today. Nehemiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now it came to pass, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. Now, Nehemiah is a rather perceptive man in that he realizes that they thought to do him mischief. Because actually, most of the time, we hear that same invitation in our lives also. Anything that draws us away from what we should be doing is an invitation to the plain of Ono. Anything that draws away from cooperating with God so he can fortify our souls, like Nehemiah was doing, literally in, in the picture with Jerusalem, what we should be doing for our souls, it's known as the armor of the Lord in the New Testament, the armor of righteousness. When we come away from that work that God is trying to do, fortifying our souls, building a wall around our souls so the devil can't just come in and plant grenade here, plant grenade there, pew, 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 and then we're like, ah, you know, no resistance against lust. And the devil's like, uh-huh. That's because there's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. God has built 
God has provided so that there can, our souls can be fortified. So the devil can't just come run in and blow up whatever he wants to blow up of the work of God. This was never God's intention. Move the mic to the middle so my hair doesn't mess with it. Okay. This was never God's intention. So anytime we come away from the work that God has assigned us to do of fortifying our souls by his power and we trek over here to do something else, it is an invitation to the plane of oh no. Watching something that will drag us down or stir up sensuality, that is a trip down to the plane of Ono. Oh listening, seeking, uh, listening to, um, observing things that, that, that take our mind down to unrighteous thoughts. That is an invitation to the plane of Ono. Oh Even doing email when I'm supposed to be praying. And, you know, there's, there's a time and season for everything, of course. I have to do a lot of email with the, with the various uh, volunteer positions that I hold. So email is a much bigger part of my life than I think I would naturally choose. However, sometimes, here's my little phone, and it has those you know, wretched little push notifications. I should just turn them off. But here's my phone here, and I'm like ready to pray. And my phone's like, ding, and there's a little email. I'm like, oh, yeah. Interrupt God mid-sentence. You know, read this email. Type, 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 respond, archive. And then you get back to the praying. What was I talking about? You know. This is actually an invitation to the plane of Ono because God calls us to be focused. Now, is there a time and a season for email? Of course. Of course, we're doing right and appropriate things with our email. There's, of course, a time and a season for that. But choosing to allow ourselves to be distracted when God has called us to do something, this is not just a, you know, this is a moment-by-moment -moment choice, and this is also a grand choice. If God has set before you a goal that he wants you to achieve than to do this and to do that and to do whatever and waste our time accomplishing what God has asked us to accomplish is trekking down to the plane of Ono. And, 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 and Nehemiah noticed something that the rest of us seem not to notice. We can find it in verse 3. No, pardon me. It's at the end of verse 2. They thought to do me mischief, he said. He recognizes that this is a plot of the enemy, whereas we often trek down there thinking, oh, this is just a diversion. I'll be back in a minute, God. What is the answer? Verse 3. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. Why should the work here stop while I come down to you? The answer to the plane of oh no temptation is actually just no. Come down, come do this. No, watch this. You know, ah, you, you can't always be... You can't always be guarding yourself, all guarding your thoughts. You need time to relax. You know, watch this just for pleasure. Well, there may be some things that are certainly just fine to watch, but there are some things that are not fine to watch. And sometimes we want to just put our mind in park, step out of the great controversy for a while and relax. But the great controversy never ceases because we have ceaseless foes and we have an unsleeping God. Sometimes to us humans, that sounds exhausting. Like, when do I get a break? When do I not, you know, when can I just not be contested ground? Never, actually. We will always be contested ground. God gives us a break when we need it. He gives us the encouragement we need. But the answer is time after time after time, when the devil is trying to distract us from what God is calling us to do, no, no, no. Why should I come down 
and the work stop while I come down to meet with you. It is only by the grace of God, the mercy of God, that we can receive the strength to say no to the pulls of the flesh and the devil. uh, Patriarchs and Kings, page 570. Especially today, while Earth's history is closing, the Lord requires of his children a vigilance that knows no relaxation. Focus. But though the conflict is a ceaseless one, none are left to struggle alone. Hallelujah. Angels help and protect those who walk humbly before God. Never will our Lord betray one who trusts in him. All right, fearless. F number two. Focus, fearless, fearless. One of the things that I love most about Christianity is the heroes, that it turns into the world from the most unexpected places, yeah? And, uh, and from the most unexpected of circumstances. I mean, Christianity is a school of thought that is, that is driven and undergirded by the concepts of submission and surrender, where enrollment is opened to the weakest, and where love is the ruling principle, where meekness is prized, where conquerors always defer honor. But out of this, out of this matrix comes these great men with a lion's share of, of bravery, of audacity, um, this grit that makes the world stop and scratch their heads and say, where did, did these people come from? These, these warriors wield their weapons with, the, with the, the bravery and the tenacity, the audacity of the Vikings, but that is where their similarities end because though they are brave and strong, they lay down their swords and pick up a broken little bird of a life. And they cradle in their hands like a mother does. And the world can't figure out why. Well, there's a reason why the world can't figure out why. But I love the lives of such men. Men that are 110% man. And at the same time, they possess all the traits that, um, all the traits of, of softness, of sensitivity, of love. Last year, a few of us led out in a challenge to memorize the book of Acts. And I'll tell you what, that was an experience. And, and, and to this day, I think, one of the, I think it's one of the best things I've ever done in my life because I love the texture and the, um, the, the personality that the book of Acts just oozes. And one of the stories in the book of Acts um, just blows my mind every time. The fifth chapter records the day when, when Peter was preaching and healing, and at the height of their evangelistic success, suddenly the high priest rises up, and they that were with him access, and the whole lot of them are consigned to prison to be kept there overnight. But access in the middle of the night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, came to Peter and said, Arise, get into the temple, and preach again. And so they do. Early in the morning, up and out, straight back to the temple from whence they were just arrested yesterday. And high priest, uh, a high priest arises later in the morning, rolls out of bed, calls together all the senate of the children of Israel. They sit down with great pomp and circumstance. They summon the, you know, they send the guards to the prison to have them brought. 
And when the guards go, they find them not in the prison. And Acts says, one came back and told, saying, the prison truly found we left, found we shut with all safety, and the guards without, standing before the door. But when we had opened, there was no man, <laughs> there was no man inside. And on their heels comes in another man and says, uh, <clears throat> yes, the, the men that you threw into prison, they're standing in the temple teaching the people. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So what do they do? They go straight back to the temple. They pick up where they left off. And here they are preaching. And now this time the, the guards go and, and, and they, they kind of tiptoe into the temple. And it says they brought them without violence because they feared the people. I think they feared the men too. But finally, you know, all is restored. The Senate is ready and they're sitting there. And the men are brought in. And the, the, the high priest sputters this did we not command you that you should not speak to anyone else in this name? And now look, what you're do- now look what you've done. And Peter and the other respond. We ought to obey God rather than men. Amen. There's none of this, well, you see, you know. No, it's like, what are you talking about? You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. We ought to obey God rather than men. What is it with these guys? You know, there's another story few chapters later where uh, Paul is on tour and he goes through through Antioch and Iconium um, this, this is a story from Acts 14 goes on tour through Antioch and Iconium and he finds a, a not so warm welcome and so they continue on they go to Lystra and they heal this man that is, that is sitting there and suddenly this great tide of favor comes up and they think, oh, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men and the priests of Jupiter and the priests of, you know, they're all ready and they get ready to have sacrifices. And I mean, these are like, these are heroes of the city. But then they're getting ready with all these festivities and, and the, the apostles run down to the midst of them and they're like, what are you doing we also, it says in Acts, we also are men of like passions such as you and, and preach to you that you might turn from this, you know, from these vanities to the living God. And they're like, what? You're, you're not gods? Well, on this juncture come in Jews from, from uh, Antioch and Iconium where they just left. And they, the unbelieving Jews, Acts said, stirred up the people so that they stoned Paul dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. Now, this is quite a turn of events because Paul was just about to be crowned, you know, God. But unbelieving Jews come in and da-da-da, do their thing, stir up the people. And now Paul is, is, is stoned, dragged out for dead, and, and he's left. But, but Acts 14, verse 19 says, um, or verse, uh, no, going on to verse 20 says, Howbeit as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and did what? Came into the city. He rose up and went back. Now, if I had been Paul and I had been working on a re- my reflexes, I was just stoned there. They dragged me out here. They think I'm dead. Let's let them keep thinking I'm dead. I'm going to go over there. But no, Paul gets up, brushes himself off. No, guys, I'm okay. Let's go. <laughs> like, really, Paul? Really? This, I love this guy's audacity. He's filled with this, with this fearlessness that defies reason. And I'm like, this doesn't even make sense. 
But you know, Paul, this is not the only, this is not an isolated circumstance for Paul. Later in his ministry, as he's bearing testimony uh, to the Corinthian brethren, he says, are they ministers of Christ? This is 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. I've been killed several times, he says. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I spent in the deep. In journeys, often. In perils, in perils of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils by the heathen. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides none of those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. And then what is his next statement? Switch back to Acts chapter 20. He's making, this is where he's making his defense and speaking um, speaking before Roman authorities about all that has gone before the men. No, he's not speaking to Roman authorities, not, not in chapter 20. He's getting ready to go to Rome, and everyone around him is, is surrounded by fear, saying, um, you know, someone has prophesied, you're going to go and you're not going to come back. And his words, none of these things move me. That's Acts twenty twenty four. None of these things, all these things that he just said, this is my experience, yes, but you know what? None of those things move me. Can I say the same? No pain, no sacrifice, no public opinion, no surrendering of my rights, no unfair treatment, no insurmountable task, no thankless toil, no perilous labor, no peer pressure, no intimidation, no personal weakness, no fear. No fear can move me. The fearlessness that led men to leave even their lives behind them in pursuit of the glory of the kingdom. This, this audacity that brushed aside danger, that brushed aside the, the thought, of the, the cost of personal sacrifice. This, this, this dare to rebel against the status quo. To rebel against the deeply entrenched habits and strongholds of generations of stale tradition. This rebel yell in the midst of a generation being rocked to sleep by prosperity. The prosperity of flourishing trade. That audacity. We need that today. For are we not all those things? Are we not suffering all the same maladies that were suffered? And yea, more that were suffered by the, gener- by the, by the society in, in Paul's generation? Are we not even more prone to fear than they, if such a thing is possible? Paul had a secret, and this secret, I believe, we need to understand if fearlessness in its true sense is going to be found. Is, is going to be found. Fearlessness is a product of selflessness. Fearlessness is a product of selflessness. The next words out of Paul's mouth after he says in Acts uh, 20, 24, none of these things move me, are, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course with joy 
and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, my life, my little life, is not really that important. What's important is the glory of the kingdom. It's all about Jesus. For Paul, it was all about Jesus. His life was all this ministry which I have been given, which when it's taken away, I will hang on my sword and lay in my grave and I will rest until it's over. And in the meantime, let's go back into the city. You and me, all of us, really. This intrepidity, this indestructibility of seeming indestructibility of life, this springs from a recognition of the invincibility of Christ. It springs from the fact that we, we, we have this confidence. Since he cannot fail, I cannot fail. And even if I do fail, what does it matter? We need to do a whole, whole lot more of fixating on the work of the gospel and a whole lot less of thinking about ourselves. Or maybe said this way. A whole lot more fixating on the work of the gospel and a whole lot more forgetting about ourselves. So spiritual excellence in an age of, of apathy and apostasy. What was our first F? Focus. Focus. What was the second one? Fearless. Fearless. All right, I would like to speak on a third one, which is fidelity. You can write it down. Fidelity, remaining absolutely faithful or loyal before God and your conscience and your fellow men. I want to, uh, to look briefly into the life of a man who, who understand what this really meant. Living a life of absolute fidelity. Turn with me to Daniel, the very first chapter. And we can see in the life of Daniel, let's, let's start reading in the very first, first verse in, in chapter 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God which he carried into the land of of Shinar to the house of his God and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Verse 3 And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. Children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding, science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace of whom they might teach the learning in the tongue of the Chaldeans. Now, let's just put this into context here. So there's been, there's been a war and all of the, the, the children of, uh, let's see, this is Judah, correct? They've been taken captive to Babylon. And the king said, remove all of those, those smart kids, those good-looking kids, those kids that would be, would be you know, a benefit in, my, in my, uh, my estate. In his, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Administration. Administration, thank you. And Daniel and his companions were chosen. 
this is actually a very privileged position to be in. Because if you can imagine, um, back then, as it actually is, is even the case today, if you are part of a nation that has been conquered and you're taken as a slave, even the name, the connotation of a slave, you're not going to be like in posh living conditions, right? But yet these young men were chosen because of, of their smarts, because of their looks. They were chosen to be taken to the king's house. And the scripture goes on to say that, that the king told his, uh, his servant that was in charge of all the eunuchs to give these, these young men to eat from the king's table. So they were highly, highly privileged. But yet, Joseph has a problem, right? Because he knows from his study of the word of God that he cannot eat the things that, that the king is placing on his table. Now... It goes on in, um, from after verse 7, I believe, yes, to, to speak of this. And then Daniel goes and he requests, hey, can we not eat this stuff? Can you just give us vegetables? Can you just give us pulse and these things, these things to eat? Now, can you imagine, considering all that I, I just finished saying about the fact that, that they're slaves, they were highly privileged enough to be put into the king's house, can you imagine going and risking offending the person that is in charge of you, and being demoted from the life of, of, of um, comfort that he had as a slave in the house of the king, can you imagine going and, and, and risk offending him and being sent and living the life of a common slave in bondage? But yet, Joseph never stopped to consider, Daniel, sorry, Daniel never stopped to consider what that would be. He never stopped to, to think to himself, you know, Things are pretty good right now. I think I better just lie low for a little bit and, and, um, and see how things go. He remained absolutely faithful to his conscience, absolutely faithful to God. That is true fidelity. Not by one action did Daniel and his companions depart from duty. If they had, in fact, friends... The, the, the book of Daniel, past verse 7, probably never would have, have come to be. And why do I say that? Because, listen to this quote from uh, Prophecy and Kings, page four, 482 slash 483. It says, No power, no influence could sway them from the principles they had learned in early life by a study of the world and works of God. Should they compromise with wrong in this instance by yielding to the pressure of circumstances, their departure from principle would weaken their sense of right and their abhorrence of wrong. The first step would lead to others until their connection with heaven severed, they would be swept away by temptation. Daniel knew this. And he refused in this very first test, the very first test right after the, the captivity, not to yield to temptation. If he had... I do not believe that Daniel and his companions would have gone on to become some of the most powerful political figures in history. And he would have gone on to, um, to, write, to write the book of Daniel. Let's, um, oh, let me give you a, a, quick, a quick example of how important it is to, to remain, even just the little things. Um, we, could, we could consider that this was a very large test for Daniel and his companions, and I would agree, but the reason that he was able to stand that test, that large test, was because he was faithful in all of the small little decisions of life. 
I was I was reminded of this. I was actually rebuked in my own my own experience by my little sister a couple of months ago. Um, yesterday, I mentioned a couple of things about the EMT class that we went through. Well, during after the testing process, we had to go and do all of our clinicals in order to get our licensure. And one of the requirements that we had for our licensure was to start so many IVs in the hospital and get the nurse to to sign off. Um, we had done a lot of IVs in class, but it had to be actually in the clinical setting. Well, one of the requirements, we had to start so many IVs and you had to actually connect it to um, a bag that actually had fluid and run it into the patient and have that documented. Well, we were allowed, I believe, um, I think it was our requirement was to have 10 IVs. We had to have eight actual IVs that had fluid running into them. We could start two HEPLOCs, which is just, um, it's a thing that they, they can either draw blood through or put in medication through, but there's actually not fluid running through. Um, we were allowed two of those. And I remember I was the first one to finish all my clinicals. Sean was the second one. We had gone a couple hours to a hospital, a couple hours from a house to a hospital, and we were all eager to finish up our clinicals and head home. And I remember Natasha was the last one working on her requirements, and she only had one IV left. And we're like, yes, okay, we're going to be able to go home. And a patient came into the emergency department, and Natasha started the IV, and... Um, she came out and she's like, I, well, I just got an IV, but they haven't hung uh, the bag yet. And she had already done her maximum requirement of the two hep locks that she was able to start. So she had to hang a bag on this patient. And she's like, I, I'm just going to, I, I'm just having to wait to basically see if the hospital will hang a bag because they haven't decided yet. The doctor hasn't come in to see the patient, etc. And my thought was, oh, I so want to go home just don't wait. I mean, don't actually wait to see if they hang a bag because they might not, right? They might not hang a bag. Just, just, I'm thinking in my mind, can't we just write down on the paperwork, say, I started, you know, an IV in the left AC with an 18-gauge catheter, 10-gate tubing, and I would have ordered, you know, so much natural saline to be put in TKO or whatever. But Natasha would not. She's like, I need to wait because I've already done my maximum, etc. And I'm like, okay, yes, this is right. This is right. But Natasha was, was attending, she was faithful to those details, even though if she had decided to write it down on the paper that she had, she had ordered for there to be a bag and for it to be put TKO, all this kind of stuff, nobody would have known. Nobody would have known. But Natasha refused to do that because she wanted to remain faithful to her conscience. And incidentally the hospital decided not to put a bag on the IV. And I was like, my hopes were so dashed because I was so looking forward to getting home. But I was rebuked at the same time that even the thought had come into my mind to, to fudge a little bit and just say, if I had put a bag, if they had put a bag, this is what I would have done. Friends, it is, it is the fidelity and these little times, these little moments, these little opportunities that add that strength of character that will enable us to stand when it comes to big temptations or big, big trials like, like um, Daniel had here. Let's fast forward really quick. How much time? Let's fast forward very quick to um, one more example from this very same man's life. Fast forward many, many years now, and now Darius um, the Mede is the king. Kings have, kingdoms have, have come and gone. Kings have, have raised to power and have, have perished. And in every kingdom, in every instance, Daniel is respected and honored because he is 
a man of fidelity. Now it's, it's um, Darius is the king. And Daniel and, um, is set with, with two others as like the heads of all of the king's satraps. And actually the king, the inspiration tells us that the king um, intended to promote Daniel to be the head of the three. So he was going to be the head of all of the king's uh, wise men, basically the second most powerful man. And, of course, as we know, the, the story tells us, we're all familiar with this story, but his, the, his people that were underneath of him became envious. So they became jealous of, of Daniel. And so they went to the king, and um, they, they had the king pass this command, even though the king did not really understand what they, were, what they were trying to do. And the king said that nobody in the realm could worship anybody but himself. What was Daniel's Daniel's reaction after all of these years in the face of this promotion or perhaps he had just recently been promoted to the very top is he going to go directly against the command of the king but again Daniel never stops to consider again in the face of promotion he never stops to reconsider he never turns to compromise as the answer in the face of apparent impossibilities. Some of us might think to ourselves, you know, that that's huge. Daniel was clearly a man of, of fidelity. Clearly a man that stood, as, the, as um, Spirit of Prophecy says, as faithful, as true um, as the needle to the pole. I, I forget the exact, the exact words. I wish that I could do that. I wish that I could live a life and, and, and be tested in such a way be taken in front of some, you know, of the, of the Senate to be able to testify my faith or, or whatever the case may be. But friends, we should not be waiting for some great opportunity to show our allegiance to God. That opportunity is now. It is in every decision that we have. Listen to this quote in closing. PK 487, it says, Many are waiting for some great work to be brought to them, while daily they lose opportunities for revealing faithfulness to God. Daily. Daily they fail of discharging with wholeheartedness the little duties of life. While they wait for some large work in which they may exercise supposedly great talents and thus satisfy their ambitious longings, their days pass away. Friends, it is my prayer that I am not going to be one of those that daily misses opportunities to express my fidelity for God while my days pass away. Staying true to purpose and maintaining absolute fidelity before God and conscience and my fellow men. It is this that makes a man or woman great before God. Standing for God in an age of apostasy and apathy. Elijah, faith in discouragement. Israel had departed from the right way step by step, year by year. Elijah, through those long years of prevailing apostasy, had prayed that they would return from idolatry to their allegiance to God. Hated with a deadly hatred as he was, by Queen Jezebel and the priests of Baal, Elijah nevertheless stood fearless, 
faithful to God, boldly declaring to the king and the people that it was their sin that had brought such calamities upon Israel. The land had suffered great drought through the curse of heaven. The temporal, of, temporal blessings of life had been removed. Elijah, being a man of a powerful faith, was used of God to bring about repentance and reformation. On Mount Carmel, he had showed that the God of heaven was unquestionably superior to Baal. He had invited the people to repent, to humble their hearts, and to return to the Lord and to acknowledge God, the God of their fathers, as the true living God. Ellen White says that it was because Elijah was a man of large faith that God could use him in this grave crisis in the history of Israel. As he prayed, his faith reached out and grasped the promises of heaven, and he persevered in prayer until his petitions were answered. Through his faith and faithfulness, the temporal blessings were restored, and the land that had suffered such severe drought was refreshed with abundance of rain. In spite of the signal victory obtained through the powerful faith of this man, Elijah, I don't believe that 24 hours had gone um, by, had quite elapsed, when this mighty man of faith fell a victim of discouragement and unbelief. Instead of his faith and confidence in God becoming stronger than before that marvelous miracle on Mount Carmel, he found himself disheartened, fleeing for his life, running with terror from the threat of death from Queen Jezebel. It would seem that after showing um, courage so undaunted, after triumphing so completely over king and priests and people, says Ellen White, Elijah could never afterward have given way to despondency nor been awed into timidity. But he who had been blessed with so many evidences of God's loving care was not above the frailties of mankind, as you and I are not. And in this dark hour, his faith and courage forsook him. Prophets and Kings, page 59. Prophets and Kings, page 162, tells us into the experience of all there come times of keen disappointment and utter discouragement. Friends, disappointment and discouragement are antagonists to faith. They're stumbling blocks that Satan uses very skillfully in our experience, in our faith uh, and prayer experience to hinder it and to cause us to lose our hold on God. I have been sorely tempted with discouragement in recent times. Um, and I, I won't go into illustration of those experiences, not because I'm not willing to share with you, but because our time is limited. Um, and, and part of it, I can tell you that part of it has something to do with the 
the season of life that I'm going through with you know hormone levels that are that are falling and um, and often circumstances that are forbidding seem much bigger greater you know than life and so the Lord has been um, teaching me lessons on faith and he continues helping me to find victory over a state of mind that undermines my faith and my prayer experience. While the things that may steal your courage would be very different, you know, from the circumstances that steal mine, um, the effect on our lives as it relates to prayer and to faith is the same. And the solutions would be similar. The last thing I seem to want to do when I am greatly discouraged is to pray. When the devil sees that um, we have the greatest need of divine aid, he will try the hardest to beat us back from God. Ellen White says that in My Life Today, page 12. It is not necessary to give in to discouragement. I'd like to share with you four lessons that the Lord has impressed upon my heart as I have been going through those experiences, um, as he's teaching me to walk by faith, not feelings in dealing with times um, when we are tempted to be very discouraged. And the first one is pray without ceasing. We have a command to do that, don't we? Prayer places man directly in the presence of God. Is that a, just an amazing thought? My Life Today, page 18. Our greatest need in times of discouragement is God's presence and his power to help us resist the devil so that he may flee from us, as we have been promised that he will. My greatest temptation during those times is to feel distanced from God and to neglect my pursuit of constant communion with Him. There is a habit that we all seek to um, cultivate in our family, and that is the habit of going apart for, for at least a few minutes in the middle of the day, Daniel time. Faith and prayer in times of discouragement or doubt um, I have found to be an act of the will. Um, I can't wait until I feel like going out there and spending that heart-to-heart that -heart time with God in the middle of the day. I, I must do it simply because I have made a choice that I'm going to do that. We are told that the power of the will, rightly directed, will impart energy to the whole being. Friends, we can be steadfast even in times when we are devoid of feelings, those warm, fuzzy feelings of faith that we all know what those feel like. We can be steadfast even when those are absent by simply choosing to obey. Choosing, for instance, to pray when we don't feel like praying. Choosing to lay our perplexities before God and resist the devil setting our hearts on following God no matter the cost, waiting on Him, waiting patiently to dispel the darkness while we engage in the work that lies nearest, simply through our choice. 
everyone, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 437, everyone who seeks to follow the path of duty will at times be assailed by doubt and unbelief. The way will sometimes be so barred by obstacles, apparently insurmountable, as to dishearten those who will yield to discouragement. But to such, God is saying, go forward. Do your duty at any cost. The difficulties that seem so formidable that will that fill your soul with dread will vanish as you move forward in the path of obedience, humbly trusting in God. Have faith in God. He knows your need. He has all power. His infinite love and compassion never weary. Fear not that he will fail of fulfilling his promise. My faith, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Prophets and Kings, um, page 164. So the first one is to pray without ceasing and to make that not dependent on your feelings, to make it a choice, a choice of the will. Number two, look to where you last saw the light. When temptations assail you, when care, perplexity, and darkness seem to surround your soul, look to the place where you last saw the light. Rest in Christ's love and under his protecting care. You know, looking to the place where I last saw the light, this reminds me of the blessing of journaling. How many of you journal? How many of you have a, a, a prayer journal? I, for years, I thought, I, I just don't have time. You know, I have my devotional time, and I can scarcely fit what I need into one to two hours. So I can't, I, I said that for years, but many times I saw my children who have had uh, that as a, as a lifetime discipline more over the last few years, I saw them come back from the mountain with such vigor, with such strength and energy that I thought, you know what, I, I can't afford I do not have the time not to do this. So I have started doing that. And it has been so powerful for me when I am in those times of discouragement to actually go back to my journal, to see, to be in that place where I last saw the light is a shot in the arm. So number two, look to the, plas the place where you last saw the light. Number three, speak words of faith. Even if you're not feeling them, you're not being a liar. You are having exercising faith. Our thoughts and feelings are strengthened, we are told, as we give them utterance. There's a little song that says, the more you talk faith, the more faith you will have. Speak of the, um, there is power in words. Um, Words have such influence on and the words that we speak on, on all, you know, that are around us. Um, I remember when we first moved to New Mexico and, and it was, um, we were in a place that was very distant from all the friends that we had. We were part of a little church family where there were no other children. And, and I chose as a mother to speak words of excitement and joy over the opportunity that we had to be in this place to have a sabbatical with God because there was nobody else around to be with. <laughs> and so I would, we have um, a log cabin that, um, you know, we have views into this beautiful canyon. And I would often get up in the morning and look at the canyon and say, children, look how beautiful. 
it's, it looks more beautiful today than ever. And just think, we can go and explore nature. We can see the wildlife. And my children would just get wild with excitement <laughs> just because of my words. So speak words of faith, and faith will come. And um, finally, act in harmony with the light that you have. You know, there is a very powerful um, relationship of the, the body, mind, and spirit. There's a reason that we have been given the laws of health, and it's not just physical blessings. It is also spiritual blessings. I have discovered that at times when I'm in, very much in a hurry and feeling challenged and discouraged, that is not the time for me to let go of fresh air and water and sunshine and all those things. Those things have healing um, properties. So I have learned that I have to pay attention to the loss of health because it influences my faith. In His presence is fullness of joy. In this age of apostasy and apathy, we can achieve spiritual excellence by cooperating with God to build a faith that will pierce the darkness of fear, doubt, discouragement, and disbelief. So we've been sharing with you examples of spiritual excellence in an age of apostasy and apathy. And I'm sure by now you realize that excellence is not accidental. It's intentional. So what does it do to your heart when you uh, hear the stories that have been shared with you today? The stories of the uh, focus of Nehemiah, of the faithfulness or the fearlessness of Paul, of the fidelity of Daniel and the faithfulness of Elijah. Do you see yourself anywhere in any of these stories? Well, the beauty of the Bible is that if you don't see yourself in one story, you can certainly find yourself in another. And so I want to share with you the last one today of someone who suffered but remained courageous. Have you ever suffered? Have you ever suffered? You know, I'm sure that you may have in one way or another, but I can imagine, I can only imagine that uh, your suffering does not compare to the suffering of the mind when you are denied things that are very basic to each and every one of us. Who doesn't want to be loved and accepted? Who? Who doesn't want to be loved and accepted? So imagine that you are a favored child. You are the son of a chieftain. And your father loves you. And all your brothers know it. You have everything that you could want. Life is good. And then you have these dreams. And in your dreams, you see your father and your brothers bowing down to you. And you're totally innocent, naive in a way, and you share with your brothers your dream. You're totally amazed with this dream. And your brothers are not happy with you. Your brothers have a reputation in the community, especially two of your brothers. One of them is called Levi and one of them is called Simeon. Let me tell you, mafia does not even begin to explain what these brothers are like. You mess with these brothers, they will take you out. But you still want to be accepted by them. Wouldn't you like to be accepted by your classmates, by your teachers, by friends, by your family? So one day on an extended errand for your father, 
He's going to seek out these brothers to see how they're doing because your dad wants to know how they're doing. And when you finally come upon them, tired, hungry, probably thirsty, instead of them accepting you with open arms, they throw you into a pit and don't even give you water to drink. And the Bible says, and they took him and cast him into the pit and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. What do you do when you're suffering physically, mentally, spiritually? We want to be fed. We want to be cared for. We want to know that somebody cares. Well, what do you do when your expectations for nourishment and acceptance and love are dashed to pieces? What do you do when the nightmare gets worse? The Bible says, And there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And so they brought Joseph into Egypt. The, spirit, the servant of the Lord says, The thought of being sold as a slave was more dreadful to Joseph than to die. He manifested the deepest anguish and appealed. Can you just imagine this? He appealed first to one and then to another of his brethren for compassion. Some of their hearts were moved for pity, but through fear and derision of the rest, they kept silent. They all thought they had gone too far to repent of their acts. For Joseph might now expose them to their father, and he would be exceedingly angry with them for the treatment of his much-loved Joseph. So they steeled their hearts against his distress and wouldn't listen to his entreaties for their father's sake to let him go. But they sold him as a slave. Here you are, the son of a much-loved man, wanting compassion from those that you want compassion and acceptance from, and you get a fate worse than death. What would you do now? Wouldn't it be natural for you to be in despair? Wouldn't you feel very alone? Well, are you alone? Are you alone in your suffering? I'm just asking, are you alone? Joseph was greatly afflicted to be separated from his father, and his bitterest sorrow was in reflecting upon his father's grief. You are not alone in your suffering. You have heard the spiritual Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Is it true? Do you believe it? Well, you know the rest of the story. But even when put in a very difficult situation, Joseph would not be persuaded to deviate from the path of righteousness and trample upon God's law by any inducements or threats. And when he was accused and a base crime was falsely laid to his charge, he did not sink in despair. In the consciousness of innocence and right, he still trusted in God. And God, who had hitherto supported him, did not forsake him. What gives fortitude? That's the last F. Fortitude. Fortitude is courage in suffering. What gives fortitude? is to remember that you are not forsaken. You are facing trials that are bigger than you. Do not 
forget that you are not forsaken. Though you may not be able to see the future, God does. Though you may feel broken, forgotten, hungry, thirsty, unloved, uncared for, God sees, God knows. Have confidence in this. You can trust God. This passage isn't found in, I forget what WM is, page 300. What a life work. Hmm? Welfare ministry. Page 300. What a life work was that of Daniel and Joseph. As they bade farewell to their childhood home, how little did they dream of their high destiny. Faithful and steadfast, they yielded themselves to divide divine guiding so that through them God could fulfill his purpose. The same mighty truths that were revealed through these men, God desires to reveal through the youth and the children of today. The story of Joseph and Daniel is an illustration of what he will do to those who yield themselves to him and with the whole heart seek to accomplish his purpose. Focus. Be fearless. Have fidelity. Be faithful. Have fortitude. For God wants to do a work in our lives that he could not do if we did not come through the trials that are before us. The greatest want of the world is the want of men. Men who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall. Education, page 56, 57. I just have to say that God is looking for men and women, boys and girls, young men, young women, fathers, mothers, who will be faithful no matter what the circumstances of life, that we will one day, as we look back, if we are faithful, we will say when we have seen what life has brought us through, we would not change a thing because we will be on the sea of glass saying, it was well worth it. So my brothers and sisters, my encouragement to each and every one of us is do not break faith with the path and the journey that God has given to you and with courage and fortitude and focus and fearlessness, go forward. God bless each and every one of you as we seek to be faithful to what he has called us to. We're going to close with prayer and then our young people will sing a song. We'll go ahead and pray, and then we can sing it with song, and then if they want to splice it in, they are free to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the opportunity you give us to be faithful in our trials, to be always prepared to stand for truth, no matter the heavens fall. Thank you for giving us this precious privilege as we go forward trusting in your purpose for each and every one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.